Good morning. Hey, it is a joy to get to be with you two Sundays in a row. That so rarely happens for me that, um, that I get invited back. It usually takes a year for people to kind of forget and uh, get me back. But it is a joy to be with you and to sneak away uh, from camp for another Sunday. Well, last week... Um, we were looking at Genesis chapters 46 and 47, and again, uh, again to bring you up to speed, in case you missed that, where we are in the story, the, uh, the, the major parts of the story of Joseph uh, that, that, that you remember from Sunday school and all of that, they've all happened. Joseph was sold into slavery and in Potiphar's house and then in prison again and then rose to, uh, to the second highest in all of, all of Egypt and uh, dad and his brothers are back. They're all back together, and uh, they're settled in the land of Goshen there. And we ended uh, in chapter 47 with Jacob saying, I'm about to die. But he doesn't yet. <laughs> in fact, he, they really stretch out this death scene. Uh, uh, Jacob is, is, is living for, for two more chapters. And, and I emphasized that last week. I emphasized that he was getting old and he was about to die. And, and, and Jim Anderson uh, texted me after the service and said, yeah, thanks a lot for reminding me that I'm old. Well, Jim, you got to face facts. You are old. I mean, life happens. You are a grandpa. And... Uh, well, okay, so am I, and even more so. Um, but in all of this, because the death scene gets so dragged out, we could stumble again into thinking that this part of the story is about Jacob, and that the whole story is about Joseph, but I need to remind us again, just as we've been reminded every Sunday from the very beginning of the series, is that the story is not about Jacob, the story is not about Joseph, but it's about God. We need to remember that again. This whole story, this whole amazing episode in the lives of these individuals, but in the lives of the people of Israel, the story is about God. Now, as I said, J uh, Jacob said, I'm about to die, and then we get some last words from him and it seems like, at least from my memory, we don't hear a lot of people's last words anymore, do we? And I don't know if it's because death seemed to linger so long in the past, people had time to think up stuff, or usually, you know, when you hear of what someone's last words were, it wasn't really their last gasping breath words, you know. It, it was things that they said towards the end, and that, that's what we have here going on with Jacob. Uh, he has these last words. But I think what's important is to kind of note that those last things, those last episodes in your life, just might outweigh everything else that's gone on before. They're important. How you end is important. A friend of mine is a pastor. Uh, did a funeral uh, for a guy, it wasn't that long ago, he did this funeral for a guy that was an absolute jerk. Nobody liked him. 
I mean, he was just mean and ornery. And my pastor friend tells me that at the service, that's what he said. Well, we're here to honor so-and-so, and to be honest, there's not a whole lot of good to say about him. And everyone agreed. And, and he said, Herb, I, I, I said all of this with his wife's permission because she agreed too. He was just mean and ornery. And they noted that. But then he said, but let me tell you, what happened two days before our brother passed away, he trusted Christ as his Redeemer. And you know what? That outweighs everything that had gone on before. Sure, it may have been a little uh, late in life, but it's not about how that man lived. It's not about how you and I lived. The story is about God. And you and I and that man have a story of God's redemption work. That's what's most important. Now, nonetheless, it's a good thing to remember, to understand that you are going to die. You and 100% of the people you know are going to die. Grandmas and grandpas and old folks like Jim and I know this well. I think I might know it even better. Because, well, I've already been there once. Some of you might remember, it was five years ago, that right there in the camp dining hall, I collapsed of a heart attack and wasn't breathing and had no pulse, which means you're dead. And my staff quick scrambled around, and, and in fact, it was in, uh, in my truck was my EMT recovery bag, the emergency bag. Uh, they grabbed it, and they did CPR and the whole nine yards, and, and then did the shocking thing, you know, that, uh, and after two or three shocks, I'm told, uh, I'd got a heartbeat back. And then, and then a $15,500 helicopter ride down to St. Cloud. Didn't remember a thing. You would think after $15,500, they'd give you a follow-up flight, you know, where you just get a chance to enjoy a little bit. But I remember a couple of days later waking up wondering, where on earth am I? <laughs> and that, yes, I, I was on earth. Uh as you can see, I survived. Um, uh, it was kind of funny after I after I came back to camp. You know, I started working in the office. You know, a couple hours a day, and you kind of work yourself back up. You know, once you've died, and your staff are the ones that have done CPR and all of that sort of thing, wow, they watch you like a hawk. And I was outside the dining hall on my hands and knees weeding some bushes that I thought, oh, man, we got to get these back into shape here. And one of my staff came out and saw me on my hands and knees on the ground. Came, Are you okay? Are you okay? I'm fine. I'm, I'm weeding. Well, don't do that. This was the same young man that had done CPR that uh, came to me a little bit after I was back to work and he and he said, Herb, I, I just have to confess something to you. He said, uh, you, know, you know how you're doing something and it's so important and, and you, you're, you're so focused, but your mind goes all sorts of other places. And he said, while I was doing CPR on you, all I could think of was, well, I hope the next director's nice. 
I thought, wait, what? What? Wait a minute. Are you saying I'm not nice? He says, no, 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 no. no. I was thinking that I, you are, and I couldn't work for anyone who wasn't nice because you've been so. I said, wait a minute. While you're doing CPR, you're already thinking of my replacement? Come on. The other man <clears throat> that had done CPR, one of our maintenance guys, he's, he's a mountain of a man, just big. And, and he's a man of few words, a little quieter. And uh, he, he came to me like three months after I was back in the office and working and doing that. And in his quiet southern way, he said, uh, Herb, I, uh, I, I just want to apologize. And I couldn't think of what he's talking about. What did, you know, I said, Kyle, what do you mean? He says, well, you know, when we were doing CPR on you, and I'm thinking, yeah, four months ago. Uh, well, I, I just want to apologize for breaking all your ribs. <laughs> said, I, I, I could hear him crack. As I, and I, I just want you to know I'm sorry. I'm like, okay, first of all, you don't have to apologize for saving my life. Okay, and good CPR will break ribs. So thank you for doing good CPR. So having died once is a good reminder. Not just for old folks. I remember at a fall fling retreat a number of years ago now, you got 300 high schoolers running all over the place and playing flag football and volleyball and doing all sorts of other stuff outside. And I, I remember at, at, at mealtimes, I like to stand up on the bench outside the dining hall because then I can be eye level with them because all high schoolers are huge now. And hold the door open, you know, as they're going into lunch and stuff like that. Hey, good, hey, good to see you. Oh, I saw that play on the football field. That was amazing. And hey, welcome back. You were here this summer. And, and as I was doing that, there was a, a, a just a good looking young man sitting on the bench next to me and and. I was looking down at him, and I noticed he had amazing hair. I, 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 I noticed things like that. And I, I grew up in the late 60s, and, uh, and I remember commenting on it, and he was like, uh, thanks, Herb. And I said, can, can, can I touch it? You know, thinking maybe some osmosis or something. He said, knock yourself out. So I, 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 I grabbed the top of his head, and I thought, man, this is like a beaver pelt, just thick. And I remember telling him that, and he said, yeah, the doctor said it would come in thicker after chemo. Oh, chemo. That means cancer. I remember sitting down next to him and putting an arm around his shoulder and just feeling these immensely strong, broad shoulders and thinking, God, what's going on? And I asked him, I said, tell me, what kind of cancer? Because there's, there's cancers that a young 17-year-old can survive. And he said, well, Herb, it's, it's lung cancer. Lung cancer. That's not a 17-year-old disease. And I remember asking him, so what's the prognosis? What's the doctor saying? And he said, well, doctor said, could be six months, could be a year. I just wanted to be here at camp. 
And not knowing what to say, I blurted out something that was probably the stupidest thing to say, but I said, oh, so that means you're one of the lucky ones. And he said, lucky? I said, okay, hear me out. I said, there's 317-year-olds running all over this place thinking they're going to live forever. That's not true. And you're the only 17-year-old that I know that knows the truth, that you've got a limited time. Who knows? God may heal you. God may give you a full lifetime. But right now, you know you've got a limited window. And that should change everything. You're one of the lucky ones that you get to know that. It's a good thing to understand that you're going to die. And death is so separate from most people's lives. We need to remember how fragile life is and how it may change at a moment. And that could change everything we do. That could change what we say to each other. That could change, knowing that could change the words we use and what we choose to get involved in. It's a good thing to understand. You're going to die. Now for Jacob, our slow learner, as we talked about last week, at the end of Jacob's life, Jacob remembered God. With all that he had gone through, with all the stories he could tell, what he remembers at the end of his life is God. At his core, Jacob was a changed man. And God was at his core, and that's what he remembers. Look at verse 3 of chapter 48. He rehearses the promise that he's known for three generations now. God, uh, Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and there he blessed me. And he said to me, I'm going to make you fruitful and will increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples, and I will give this land to you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you. Now, Jacob is speaking a little bit prophetically. Because frankly, that's a third generation promise. He had heard it from his grandfather. God had given it to his grandfather, uh, Abraham. But it really wasn't fulfilled. God had given it again to his, his father, Isaac. But it really hadn't been fulfilled. And God had given it a third time to the third generation, Jacob, but to be honest, he's about to die, <clears throat> and he really can't describe how he's seen this promise fulfilled. But I need to remember something, as I think Jacob remembered. That just because I don't get to see God's promise fulfilled doesn't mean he is, isn't fulfilling it. He might be coordinating a million things behind the scenes to accomplish his purposes. All those things that Jacob had lived through, perhaps God was orchestrating all of those and using all of those things that he allowed, using it to accomplish his will. God used it all to accomplish his will. And you and I would do well to remember that. 
Sure, you've lived through some hard times. That doesn't mean God's promises isn't being fulfilled. He might be using those hard times to orchestrate his plan and to prepare you. You might have gone through some tough things. Your family might have gone through tough. We as a church might have gone through some difficult things. But God is using, has been using that all along to fashion his people to remember God. Both the good things and the hard things. If we were to rehearse some of the things in Joseph and Jacob's life, uh, we'd see that, wow, maybe God was working a long time before this. Joseph being sold as a slave by his brothers, surely that's not a good thing. I'm sure when Jacob, when, I'm sorry, Joseph was thrown into a well and then sold by his brothers, I'm sure he wasn't thinking, oh, look at how God is keeping his promise. Joseph rising to power in Potiphar's house, he might have looked at that and said, okay, this is more like it, but oh, wrong country, wrong people, I'm not sure how God's using that. Surely when he was falsely accused and thrown into prison, that's not something that he would be looking at as how God was fulfilling his purposes. The baker and the cupbearer having a dream. Do you really think that was coincidental? No, God was using all of that. God giving Joseph uh, the meaning of those dreams and Joseph himself says, well, God is the, is the one who interprets dreams. Let, you know, let me hear them, and I'll, I'll tell you what they mean. And Pharaoh having a dream. God's using all of that. Then God giving, uh, the Joseph, God giving Joseph the meaning of Pharaoh's dreams, and then Joseph having the wisdom to figure out a famine response plan. All of that God is using and working and finally bringing his brothers back to Egypt and being reunited uh, with his family. God is using all that to prepare his people and protect them and teach them about how God is faithful. And God's promises are often like that. Just because I don't see the fulfillment doesn't mean that they aren't being fulfilled. If my getting to see the fulfillment were the requirement, then the promise would be all about me. But the center of the promise is all about the faithfulness of God. Let me say that again for those of you that are madly filling in notes after a long list. If my getting to see the fulfillment were the requirement, then the promise would be all about me. But the center of the promise is all about the faithfulness of God. So knowing this, Jacob looks forward. Yep, the promise hasn't been fulfilled yet, but I know it will be because I know my God. So Jacob looks forward with that promise. Jacob knows the promise was given to grandpa and to his dad and to him and not fully fulfilled. So he passes it on to his boys. We see a real interesting thing here <clears throat> where Joseph, he, he's reunited with Joseph. Joseph uh, was told that 
Jacob, his dad, had been ill, and so he goes down there with his two boys. They see dad again. Dad rehearses this promise again. And then he says, Joseph, your two boys, Manasseh and Ephraim, I want to adopt them. I know they're my grandkids, but they're going to be my boys. And they're going to have the same status as you and all of your brothers. They are going to be like one of the brothers. Any other child that's born to you down in Egypt, they're, they're yours. But Joseph, I'm going to claim these two as my own. And then he gives them a blessing. Uh, we see how it's set up that, uh, that, that Joseph sits or squats and puts the boys on his knee. He, he puts Manasseh, the older one, on his knee so that when Jacob reaches out with his right hand, it'll be on that boy's because that's tradition. That's how it's done. The firstborn gets a, a, a bigger blessing and a bigger promise and and. Dad or grandpa puts his right hand on. And, and he takes Ephraim and puts him on his right knee so that Jacob's left hand is there. And we see Jacob placing his hands on the boys and blessing them. Except he crosses his hands. And his right hand is on the younger boy. And, and Manasseh, the older, gets a great blessing. You're going to be a great people, Manasseh. You're going to be wealthy. But Ephraim, the younger one, he will be even greater. And Joseph, looking up, sees this. Oh, dad. And, and it says earlier in the passage that, that, that Jacob's eyes had really faded and he could hardly see. So it's understandable that he got mixed up. And, and Joseph tries to grab dad's hands and, no, 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 dad, here's the oldest. And, and Jacob says, I know, I know. And Manasseh will be blessed, but Ephraim, the younger, is going to get the bigger blessing. But in reality, that really wasn't anything new in this family. Uh, Abraham didn't get a blessing from his father, but if you look at Abraham, God didn't choose him because Abraham was so fantastic. Now, he was an amazing man, but he messed up several times. But God chose him and said, I will make you, Abraham, a great people. I will make you. Not because, oh, I see how, how stellar you are. And God used Isaac, the younger, over Ishmael, the older. And God used Jacob, the younger, over Esau, the older. God even favored Joseph over several older brothers. And we see that continue on throughout the story of Israel. Uh, King David chooses Solomon, even though he had a few older brothers. So what do you think the point is? What, what, what's the point that God's making? And I think the point that God is making is that God will use who he chooses. God will choose who he uses. And right away, we go, but that's not fair. Hey, moms and dads, you've heard that 
so many times, but that's not fair. I don't care if it's not fair, you know. And that's what's going on. But that's not fair. As though you had any rights. You know what? There is a New Testament equivalent to this. And again, not having my glasses replaced yet from them being in the bottom of the lake, I'll have to tell it to you. You can write it down, Matthew chapter 20. In Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16, <coughs> we, get a, we, we, we get a parable that Jesus told, and, and, and you'll recognize it. There's a man who needs to harvest his field. And he goes into town early in the morning and gathers up workers, and they make an agreement um, I'll pay you two denarii to work in the field today. And they agree to that, and they get working. But halfway through the morning, it's clear it's a bigger job. And he goes back into town and recruits some more, and they make an agreement. I'll give you two denarii for the work that you'll do in the field today. And it happens again at noon, and it happens again in the middle of the afternoon. And at the end of the day, there's like a couple hours left, and more are hired at two denarii. And when the field work is done and the master is paying everybody, those that were hired early in the morning, you know what they say, wait a minute, that's not fair. We worked all day, we sweated all day, and these jokers came for the last two hours and they get paid the same, and the master reminds them, now wait a minute, wait a minute, we had an agreement. We made an agreement. I didn't cheat you. I paid you exactly what I said I would pay and that you had agreed with. You know, I've had the chance to lead two different people to Christ just days before they passed away. Now, I can't wait to when I get to step into eternity and to see family and friends and to be in the presence of my Jesus and to be in this glorious place. And guess what? Those two people that I led to Christ just days before they died, so are they. <laughs> but that's not fair. Jesus, I've, I've known you. I, I've been a follower of yours since 1964. How can that be? Oh, that's just not fair. Put it on several other levels. Yeah, but I've been doing this ministry faithfully for so long. And there's that guy that just started up a ministry and is going gangbusters. And it's so big. And their church is so much bigger than ours and it's brand new. And, oh, we've been faithfully preaching God's word. All That's not fair. But God... Well, two things, really. God is going to use who he chooses to use, and who knows but that all of these things that have been going on aren't things that God is using to accomplish his purpose. Did you ever think that maybe your hard time was for someone else's benefit? Oh, thanks, Jesus. But i got to remember that, that there is so much more going on behind the scenes that all the things that we've lived through, that a family's lived through, that a church has lived through, are very much possible that God has been using those in ways that we won't see until the other side of eternity. God will choose. 
And all of that means is that tradition doesn't decide these things and, and leadership. Tradition doesn't decide leadership. God does. Uh, you look at four unpaid, unofficial interns. Don't you absolutely love them? And yet, I could tell you a story or two about a couple of them, you know. Or others, all these years at camp, it's like, oh, God's never going to use that kid. He's too much of a rebellion. She's not gifted in the right ways for that. Oh, that, there's a name on every gray hair here. Uh, oh, God's never going to use that kid, that kid. They don't come from the right family. They don't come from the right place. They aren't gifted for that. Surely no good thing could come out of Nazareth. Tradition doesn't decide these things. God does. Being from the right family, from the right school, from the right whatever. God decides those things. So I guess there's two things for us to remember today. You're going to die. And that ought to change everything, knowing that. And the second thing is that God's in charge. You're not. God's in charge. You're not. And so how might those things, those two pieces of knowledge, how might that affect everything I do? What I say, how I treat someone that may not be here next week. The things that I choose to spend my time on and get involved in. The people that I choose to encourage and give them opportunities to lead and to teach, and to experience following the Holy Spirit. It ought to change everything. If, if I believe that God's promises are true, do I live like it? Do I live like that? Let me pray. Father, I thank you that you haven't left me in charge. Oh, my goodness, what disaster that would be. Father, I thank you that you are working your plan. You are working your will. You will accomplish your will, and you will use the things that you allowed into my life as well as the ones that you engineered. And thank you, Father, for when we get to the other side of eternity, we will be able to see those things and be amazed at your incredible plan. Father, help us to encourage those that need encouraging. Help us to give people opportunity to follow you and to lead your church. In your name, amen.